And I'm so excited to, uh, to tell you that one of my friends, Pastor John Morris, is in the house with us tonight. You've not had the chance to meet him yet, but yeah. So um, uh, Pastor John and, and Stephanie Morris, they pastor Vima Church in Wichita, Kansas. All right? So a uh, little fun fact, every, everyone outside of, uh, even people in Texas don't know about Wichita Falls. And so say Wichita Falls, they immediately think of where? Kansas. They think of Kansas. And so um, we, we're Wichita Falls. Y'all are Wichita. And uh, they, they launched Vima Church in uh, February of 2019. He's going to tell you a little bit about that story in a moment. What, uh, we're Ark Plant number 824. What are you? Do you remember? 879. All right. And so uh, we, uh, the, that's something that Ark Church planters, you, you want to know your number, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like yeah, man, we're, we're 824, and then there's the older guys that they're like 122, and so it's kind of fun. But uh, Pastor John and Stephanie and Annalise and I, we, we met each other earlier this year in, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. We were both attending a coaching intensive. We, we both coach uh, church planters. And so we were there, and we had never met each other before, so we just kind of hit it off, and we spent a lot of our time just hanging out with each other. And I am so thrilled, so thankful that Pastor John and Stephanie and their, their, two of their kids are with us tonight. And so would you help me just give a City Hope welcome tonight to Pastor John Morris? Come on, let's let, show the love. Man, so good to be here tonight. It's funny because... Whenever we uh, felt called to Wichita, Kansas, I'd never heard of Wichita, Kansas. I thought it was small, and I thought Wichita Falls, Texas was big because I'm an Arkansas guy. And so we grew up going on vacation in Dallas and going to Six Flags and stuff like that. So I was the opposite. I thought Wichita Falls, Texas was the Wichita. And so I, I'm learning that, that, that there's some other people who think of different perspectives. Um, I hope you uh, appreciate my pearl snap tonight. I wore this for you guys. Texas came in. <laughs> tried to look the part. Um, I have one Pearl Snap shirt. I got it. I, I got church, saw me last Sunday wearing this. He was like, hey, I really like your shirt. I was like, man, it's, it was this really, he's like, where'd you get it? It's like high fashion place. They're hard to find. Um, it's a Wrangler shirt from Walmart. Um, $12.99. If you like it, there's a whole bunch of them there. Um, but uh, I, it's, my new, it's my new preaching shirt. So I, I felt like it fit the part tonight to be in Texas. But man, we consider it an honor to, to be here, Ben and Annalise and Annalise. Let's say it right, Anna. Annalise, yeah, whatever. My wife called you guys a minute ago, Benelise, and so she like put you guys together in one name, uh, like the, the Brad Pitt, you know, the Angelina, the Brangelina or whatever. And so it's just an honor to be here. Uh, we love these guys. I don't, know, I don't know how much you know this, and you probably do because you go to church here, but your pastors are brilliant. I ask Ben questions all the time. He's one of the smartest pastors I know. I learned so much from this guy, and you guys, man, it's your treat, and you're, you're, you mean a lot to us. And so thank you for letting me preach tonight. Um, tonight, like she said, I've got a couple of my kids. Um, I've got four kids. I think that's a requirement to be an ARC church planner. Um, and so I've got my two youngest with me, my, my Willow, she's seven, and my Abel's in the nursery, he's three. But then I've got a 14-year-old that's taller than me and hairier than me. Uh, and then I've got a 13-year-old. And so, but they're at school. And so we came up here and made a trip out of it and skipped school and went to the American Girl doll store. Yeah, got, got my daughter hooked up right there. So I'm broke. Pray for your pastor. Um, but tonight, uh, when uh, you know, Ben asked me to just uh, share a word and told me kind of what your themes have been for your, 
first Wednesdays, I knew exactly what message, and this has been a message that's been my, kind of my message, my theme message this year. That I've, just, I've gone back to this story over and over again. But when we started our church, I'll get to the scripture in a second. Uh, when we started our church uh, two years ago, almost, uh, man, we had this great launch strategy. We worked with guys like Ben and that coached us and helped us train us. And we had a fantastic, everything worked. I mean, we did what they said to do, and it happened how it was supposed to happen. And we launched January, I think it was 26, uh, 2019. Had over 300 people show up at our first service. Come on now, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, God was super faithful. And our next six weeks were amazing. I mean, every, 2020, yeah, 2020. She, my wife's correcting me. Uh, yeah, so it was last, last January, 2020. Um, and so we had an amazing launch, an amazing six weeks, uh, and then there was this thing that happened, uh, which I think most of you are familiar with, uh, COVID-19. And so God was super faithful, then all of a sudden it was like, is he still faithful? Because all of a sudden this six-week-old church, which I barely knew a couple first names in six weeks, I was like, remember, who was that tall guy that came in? That's how I was talking about people. I knew a few first names, all of a sudden we're sent home. And in our area, in our city, our state area, it, was, it ended up being about 13 or 14 weeks before churches really came back. And so we were all of a sudden, we had this plan, we had this strategy, everything was going amazing. Uh, people were calling me and saying, what did you do? I was like, I don't know. We just did what Art told us to do, and it worked. And it was all of a sudden, it was that to like, what are we doing? And in fact, I even asked myself this question, and me and my wife talked about it privately a few times, do we even still have a church? I mean, we were so fragile, so young. I mean, imagine taking a six-week-old baby and just sticking it in a room by itself and saying, see what you can do, you know? And that's kind of how we felt. We, like, we didn't know what to do. There was no plans, no strategies. And maybe you were kind of in a similar situation. And so we had this, 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 this thing that just, we had a promise that we felt like was from God, that God called us to do something, and God promised us that he was going to do something. And we felt like if we were obedient, and this is how scripture works, when we walk in obedience, then God does his part of the thing. And we walked in obedience, and all of a sudden, everything started falling apart. In fact, I kind of felt like I knew the kind of church we could have, but it was like on the other side of this wall. And this wall, I didn't even know how to get across it because I'd never seen it before. I, didn't have, I couldn't ask anyone a question like, hey, you've been here before, right? Because none of us have been there before, right? I mean, we were all in a first-time scenario, first-time situation. So I felt like I had this wall that I had no idea how to get over it, how to get around it, how to get through it. I felt like the promises of God were just there. Like I could almost hear them. I I remembered almost what they could see them. I could sense them. But I just didn't know how to get through this wall or through this this burden, through this promise that God had for me. And I think maybe that identifies with some of us. Maybe sometimes we feel like we're kind of up against the wall. Like maybe there's something great in our life. Maybe that God has a promise or has some potential for us. Maybe there's this thing that God, we believe that God wants to do in our lives, but it's just on the other side of a wall. And maybe for some of us, even like it could be like the, the FOMO, the missing out. Like we can hear other people on the other side of the wall enjoying it. We can see it maybe through our Instagram, like, oh, that, that's what that's like. We can see it through their lives or their stories, and, but we can just, for whatever reason, it feels like there's a wall or a chasm, something keeping us from that promise. And I, I feel like Joshua 6 was a scripture that God gave our church last this January. We had been through the COVID season. We came back, had services, and things were kind of starting to move and kind of starting to go in the right direction. But I just, honestly, I just felt like I was just dealing with it as it came. I kind of quit leading with a lot of purpose and a lot of promise, and I turned into like a crisis manager. Anyone kind of feel like you did that this last season? 
Like, you kind of lost your purpose. You're like, okay, we'll get to the purpose potential stuff later. Like, but right now, I just got to deal with this thing that's on fire. Like, give me a water hose, right? And that's how I kind of felt like I was. But I felt like God was stirring in my heart to quit just trying to put out fires and to get back on mission. And Joshua 6 was the story that God kept bringing in my heart. And it says this, Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5. We're going to kind of read the front side of this story. So this, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Now, this is interesting. I, we're not even very far in the story, but this is so interesting to me. That, that the people of God had been wandering for 40 years, and God had split a sea. God had provided manna from heaven. God had provided quail from heaven. God had provided water in a desert. Those stories had reached this town called Jericho. And we're about to see the people of Israel come up to this place, and the people that weren't even following God knew how powerful God was. When they heard that God's people were approaching, this is what it says they did, they backed up. And I want to, before we get any further, I want to tell you that the enemy knows how powerful your God is. The question is, do we know it? You know, and so, so they backed up. They're inside these walls, and it says no one was allowed to go in or out. Verse 2, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing their horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. This is, this is the promise that God gave Joshua. Now, people have been waiting for this promise. They've been waiting for this potential. This, this was the promised land that had been prophesied over 400 years ago to Joseph, this was, or to Abraham. And then now they're, about to, they're on the footsteps of it. They're right there, and this is what God tells them. All I need you to do is walk around in circles a few times, worship, play some music, and this thing's going to be a done deal. And so this is, this is a story. But Joshua and the people of Jericho, if you know much about them and their journey in the desert, they complained a lot. Not so much Joshua, but the people. Joshua had faith. And they complained about the, the manna from heaven, which was a miracle. They complained about the quail. They complained about the water. They complained all the time. And here they are, and they see this city, Jericho. And historians tell us this, and they've actually discovered the walls that they were 13 foot tall and six foot wide, six foot deep of, uh, of rock. And this, was, this is how wide and how deep the rock was at the base. And in fact, the watchtower that stood on the corners was 28 feet tall and gave them this visual advantage for miles that they could see the enemy approaching. So when it says that they all came within the city, it's because they could see the, people, they could see the, the couple million people walking. Hey, here they come, slow and steady. So they pulled everyone within. But what's interesting is that most theologians, historians, they believe that this was the first military wall-based kind of fort that had ever been made. Jericho had never been defeated. It was the first time anyone had ever come up with this type of defense mechanism. And now here's the people of Israel at an impenetrable wall, a wall that had stood the test against many other armies, a wall that was known as being impenetrable, unconquerable, uncrossable. And so what does the king do? He says, let's just withdraw. Let's be safe. Let's come back into here, and it's all going to be okay. Now, here's something I think that, that's interesting to me. When we see walls, 
I think we see something in this, is that walls almost always protect things of value. You know, and so this, this was a promised land. This was the first step for them to step into it. And sometimes I think we look at walls as just obstacles. We look at walls as just bad things. We look at these chasms or these seasons of time where things are tough, and we go, oh, that stinks. But what we don't, I think, recognize, maybe we don't perceive, is that walls are actually protecting the best things. That there's really good things often on the other side of an obstacle, on the other side of a wall. And I think that's why we don't see a lot of people in our society walking with things that we treasure, that we want. We don't see a lot of people walking with full of hope. We don't see a lot of people walking full of peace. We don't see a lot of people walking full of joy. Why? Because those things are hard to achieve. They're on the other side of the wall. In fact, I've heard it said, my dad told me this one day when I told him I, I was working at a store in a mall and, and I, I told him, I said, this girl came in and she was really pretty. And I, dad, I think I'm going to marry this girl. It happened to be my wife right here, Stephanie. And my dad made this statement. Maybe you've heard this before. He said this. He says, anything worth having isn't easy to have. So my dad said. And so I said, okay, yeah, sure, dad. I mean, but I'm just, we're just going to, I'm going to call her up. I'm going to ask her on a date. She's going to say yes. And six months later, we're going to be married. Then we're going to have some babies and, and it's all going to be good, right? And so I called her up, got to know her a little bit. And I said, hey, would you like to go to dinner sometime? And this was her response. I'm not dating. Anything worth having isn't easy to have. So what did I do? I'm not dating either. I just asked you to lunch. What are you doing? What are you talking about? I tried to like back out of it, like try to save some face. Like I didn't ask you, I just like, let's go to Burger King. That's not a date. So we went to Burger King, uh, no lie. And, and I did buy her Whopper. So, okay. Um, so we started talking and, and I, I pursued her and it took months of conversations before I felt like we were at a place where I thought if I asked her on a date, she might say yes. And in fact, I can tell you this, it cost me a lot of Olive Garden breadsticks to get her to say yes to me. We went to Olive Garden a whole lot and, and eventually she said yes. But it, there's a principle there. Anything worth having isn't easy to have. It takes some work. It takes some effort. There's a principle there. And the children of Israel, they've wandered for 40 years. They've been in prison for 400, or enslaved for 440 years. They had lived through a lot of hardship. And God was asking them for just a little more faith. But I think there's a, another principle here is that God's promises aren't often found in fields or in deserts. You know, if, we're, if you feel like you're wandering today, if you feel like you're kind of in between what, what, where you are and maybe where you hope to be, I can tell you that there's probably an obstacle, there's probably a wall, there's probably a chasm that you'll have to cross before you step into that full potential. That it's not in the easy places, it's not in the wandering that we get to find the best things in life. Our greatest fulfillments often follow our greatest battles. And so the people of Israel, God was asking them for one more step of faith. And I love what God tells Joshua in verse 2. He says, I've given you Jericho. I've already done the hard work. But for whatever reason, and if you're maybe a little bit like me, sometimes when we come up against the wall, we think, how am I going to get across it? We often think, like, where's my hammer? Where's my chisel? Where's my, where's, like, where, where's the, 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 the excavator? Like, what are we going to do to get, we start asking ourselves all these questions about our giftings and our potential. When here's God, the first thing he told Joshua is, I have given you Jericho. I believe that, that what's on the other side of the wall isn't always so much about our effort as it's about a few other things. Let's look at verse 10. 
skip ahead in the story. I love what, what, what God tells Joshua, and Joshua commands the people. He says, do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. Here's the second thought I want to give you tonight. What we say has the ability to change the way that we see the wall. Joshua, God, God had been with these people for a long time. He had never abandoned them. In fact, if you look, read back in Exodus, it says the people were grumbling about the manna. It says that God heard their grumbling and sent them quell. God heard their grumbling, their complaining, their whining. And I think at this point he said, I've had enough. Joshua, will you tell them to be quiet? And I think there was something that he was trying to teach them here is that all their grumbling and complaining was giving them a perspective. I'm sure as they were walking around the wall, they're like, this thing is tall. This thing is big. This thing is wide. No one has ever defeated it before. Now here we are. There's no trained military men. We have no uh, slingshots. We have no, you know, we have no mighty horses. We have no mighty weapons. We've been wandering around in the desert, relying on God to do everything for us. Now we're at this wall that's never been defeated. And I think God said, have them be quiet. Have them be quiet. Why? Because I think he wanted to change the way that they saw the wall. I think you want them to change the way that they saw the obstacle. I, I, and I, maybe we can do this sometimes. I think we say things like this. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get through this thing. Maybe we say things like, I might have to deal with this the rest of my life. I've tried everything and nothing seems to work. God's healed some other people, but maybe that's just not his plan for my life. I mean, I hope God will do something, but if he doesn't, it's okay. I've prayed about this before, and nothing's really happened, so. And these words come out of our mouth that change the way that we see the obstacles in front of us. And I think for some of us in the room, maybe the greatest thing that we can learn, maybe in this moment, in this season, is just sometimes we just need to quieten the words and maybe listen to God. So we ask him, he says, be quiet, walk around the walls. And I think for us, some of us, we can spend so much time and I'm guilty of this, trying to drown out the problems, the noise of the problems, and we can do it with being busy. Like, I love to do that. That's my favorite thing to do. When I feel like I have too much to do and I have no way how to do it, I add three more things to my plate. Anyone else do that? Like, this is impossible. I don't know how I'm going to do this whole week, and then I have an idea. What if we did this? <laughs> you know, and it's like some, something about adding some busyness or some innovation just makes it feel like the, maybe that, that this hard week could get by somehow easier. I think sometimes maybe we... Or we do it with family, like when we've got a pressure, we've got a wall, we've got a chasm, we kind of step away from that thing, and we just add our kids in a few more sports, or we, we, we do a few more things with them, or sign them up for a few more things. If I just stay busy chasing my kids, I won't have to really deal with this wall or this chasm that I've had in my life for a while. We could do it with our careers, we could pick up another job, or, or increase our workload, or step into some new things, and, and some of us, we can do it with our thumbs and our phones. Things get so crazy, and we don't know how to get past this obstacle or this wall. So then we just lay in bed, and we just scroll. We just do this. We just keep swiping and keep swiping. Two hours later, it goes by. You know, it's like, what did I do? I've, I know we have a megalodon, this giant shark thing. I don't know. I watched one YouTube video. Now I'm watching this thing about you. Anyone ever done that before besides me? Yeah, it's like, I don't, why am I? Are mermaids real? Like, I'm asking myself these questions because I just quit quick in videos. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? And we could do that to try to drown out the doubt and the fear that the wall makes us feel, the insecurity, because it's so big and we're so small. 
We just fill our lives with noise. And I think God understood that, and he, he had heard their grumbling. He says, oh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk behind the priest who are going to sing worship. They're going to play horns, and I want you to be quiet and listen. I want you to be quiet and hear what they're going to say. So verse 14, it says this, on the second day, on the second day, they began to march around the, t- the town once, and they returned to the camp. And it says this, that they followed this pattern for six days. So they followed this pattern for six days. Anytime I hear the word pattern, my mind goes to one thing, and it's to Michael Jordan. Like, I love sports. I'm a big sports fanatic. And the Michael Jordan documentary, if you haven't watched that, was really insightful to see how probably the greatest basketball player to ever live. Anyone think Michael's the best? Come on. Anyone think LeBron James is the best? There's the door. All right. Um, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Don't leave because of guest. He likes LeBron James. Um, you know, but like Michael Jordan was just this epic guy, this incredible. But there was a, a, an episode where it talked about how he did something different that no one else did. He had a pattern in his life. Even after he would play a game and he would maybe fly in and get home at 1 or 2 in the morning, that every morning, no matter what, he woke up at 5 a.m., and he had a private trainer come in, and they worked out, they lifted weights every single day, even on game days. Where most players were resting on game days, Michael and his trainer had figured out this thing that they actually could recover quicker if he stayed in this pattern, if he kept his body in a pattern of doing the certain things on certain days, eating certain things on certain days. And in fact, in the documentary, they talk about when he got older and he was retired and came back, it was crazy, even when he played for the Wizards in that weird season, that he, at his age, could play longer, play more minutes, and, and maintain his metabolism and maintain his effort. Why? Because the pattern that he set in. And I, I think that there was something to this seven days that God had asked the children of Israel to march. I think he was wanting them to set in a pattern. I think it's easy for us to come into a moment or a service and just loft one prayer and ask God to tear down that wall for us or or to bring breakthrough. It's a whole different thing to go before him day in and day out and pray the same prayer. It's a whole different thing to go before him day in and day out and rely on his promise that he gave you days ago or weeks ago. Or in their case, this wasn't a seven-day-old promise. The promise of Jericho was over 400 years old. It's something about repeating that pattern and remembering what God had said. And in fact, I I like to say it this way, that long obedience in the same direction often leads to victory. It's not that we're the best. It's not that we're the strongest. It's not that, that as Christians, we have it all figured out and the rest of the world doesn't. It's that we repeat things that make a difference in our lives, that make a difference in our thoughts, that make a difference in our hearts. And we keep doing those things over and over and over again. Kind of like Pastor Ben said, a fresh wind every day. Coming before God every day and say, God, I want to hear you. God, I want to know you tomorrow. God, I want to hear you. God, I want to know you. The next day, God, I want to hear you. God, I want to know you. See, I think the problem is too many people quit on the sixth day. There's seven days of marching, and they get to the sixth day. And, they, and in fact, I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of young adults and young married couples, and they, they feel like their marriage isn't where they hoped it would be, or their family isn't quite right, or, or maybe they're like, man, I've been working this job for this many years, and I haven't gotten this promotion, and someone else did, and I got overlooked, and I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation, and people were on the sixth day, and, and, and as a pastor, you could almost sense it and see it, and you're like, don't quit, don't bail, 
I know your marriage is tough. I know your family's tough. I know you haven't got that job thing figured out, but just keep working to play. Keep running to play. Keep following the pattern. Keep, if God hasn't told you to move or God hasn't told you to go, just keep running it. And it's in that consistency. I can tell you I've had that conversation with people so many times and said, don't quit yet. And within a month or two months or three months, they come to me and say, John, it happened. Like I had a breakthrough in my marriage. Me and my wife had a great conversation. Or, 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 or I, I had a, my boss call me in and said, he's been noticing me the last couple of years, but they haven't had the ability to do it. But today he wants to give me this. Speech. I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with people if they just would have kept going. And, and so many people, though, they quit on the six days. Think, I've done this for a while. I've been doing this. for I've been praying this prayer for a while. But I'll tell you, I think we need to keep walking around Jericho. The promise that God has given us. See, all of us in life, I believe all of us are circling things. Like whether, whether it's a promise or a problem, I think has a lot to do with how we see things. I think all of us, though, are walking, right? I mean, all of us have, are, are journeying through life. And in fact, the word vima, we pick that and you're like, what does that mean? It's a Greek word, it just means step. Because here's the reality, every person is taking steps. And we want to help people take their next step in their faith journey. But even if you're not pursuing Jesus, you're still taking steps. All of us have things we're trying to achieve. All of us have things that we want. The question is, are we circling a problem or are we circling a promise? And, and the Jericho was not a problem. I think the people of Israel thought it was a problem because they complained about everything. But Joshua and God saw it a little bit differently. They saw that's the promise of God that's 400 years old that we're seven days away from walking into. And they were circling the promise. They were circling the promise. They were circling the promise. And I think when we do this, we've got to keep our eyes is not on the wall, but keep our eyes on his word. And this says that the Levites, the priests, were out front. They were singing, everyone else be quiet. They were playing their horns, everyone else be quiet. What were they singing? What were they doing? What, what were worship songs like then? Well, if you go back and you read some of Psalms, you go back and you read some of Hebrews, or not Hebrews, Exodus, and you read some of these songs, all they were were stories of what God has done. So as the priests were out front leading and singing, they weren't just making up new songs. They were singing about God's past victories, about what God had done in Abraham, about what God had done in Moses and split the Red Sea. They were encouraging and building their faith. But their eyes had to shift from the wall to his word. They had to hear the words sung over them. They had to believe it. They had to circle the promise and not their problem. And it changed how they saw what they saw. And I, I believe that they don't, not only did they do that, but on the seventh day, it said this. I want you to sing. I want you to shout. And so it wasn't just words out there speaking of apathy, songs of apathy. God, why haven't you done this? God, why is this not going? God, why is this not, why not I had breakthrough here? God, why have I keep having the same problem? All of a sudden, their songs weren't like that. Their songs were, I believe he can. I, I love the song we're just singing. That. I, I believe, I believe, I believe that he can do it. I believe in the God who can do the impossible. And they needed that moment, that season for their faith to be encouraged. You see, I believe that walls fall down when we follow God in obedience. I believe that walls fall down when we keep our eyes on his word. And I believe walls fall down when we keep our words and our songs about him. Do you believe the word? Or do you believe the wall? Do you believe that the wall is big and strong? Or do you believe that your God is big and strong? You see, when we circle his word, walls get smaller. 
when we circle with his people like the Israelites were doing, the group, the, the group of believers circling together, our songs get louder. When we circle in worship, our faith is strengthened. See, God wasn't just asking them, do this, do this, do this, and I'll give you this. It wasn't an equation. I think what God was doing is was changing their perspective. He was changing their songs, and he was changing their hearts. Verse 15 says this. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. And the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and Israelites charged straight into the town, and they captured it. I saw something in this story that I'd never seen before until I read this about a year ago. And it was this. The walls didn't fall until their sounds rang out. I think too many times as a Christian, I've waited for walls to fall before my songs rang out. I've sat there and I've asked God, God, would you do the impossible? God, there's this wall in my life. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how we're going to, I've tried everything, and I'm a pretty critical thing. Like, I've asked for help. Like, I've gone to dog. I, I, all, I've done everything I know how to do, and I don't know how to do it. But God, once you do it, I'll do this. In fact, many of us have probably prayed a prayer like that. I call it a Hail Mary prayer. God, if you do this, I'll never do that again. Every, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in the room today, you've prayed that prayer. And if you said, I have it, you're lying, okay? Um, we've all prayed that prayer. Like, God, if you would just do this, I'll stop doing that. God, if you'll just do this, I'll quit doing that habit. God, if you just do this, I'll fix this in my life. God, if you do this, I'll start paying tithe. God, if you do this, I'll start serving. God, we've all made deals with God. And what we're really doing is saying, God, once you do that, I'll start serving you. God, once you do that, I'll start praising you. But here's what I see right here in this story is that the praise precedes the breakthrough. That, that we lift our songs before the walls come down. We lift our voices before the walls come down. And in fact, what if God is actually waiting for our songs to break through the wall? Because it's when we worship when we don't feel like it, when we praise when we don't feel like it, when we serve, when we don't feel it, like, when we tithe, when we don't feel it, like, when, we, when we lean in, when we don't feel like it, that's when we make our greatest statements of faith. When we don't feel like it and we do it anyways, this is what it says, I believe. And I believe that praise precedes breakthrough, amen? So what if today, what was standing between you and the power of God being released in your life, in your situation, it's just you releasing a little praise. What if that's all it was? You standing in faith and saying, God, I don't know if it's seven laps. I'm not, we don't need to do a Jericho march tonight. I don't know if you, any, any Pentecostals you grew up marching around. We're not, not, not about to do that. <laughs> but God, what if, it's, what if it's a pattern that you're looking for? What if I've prayed the prayer 10 times? What if it's the 12th? What if I've prayed this prayer 200 times? What if it's the 400th time? Do I believe enough to keep walking? Do I believe enough to keep praising? 
Do I believe enough that he is God and the wall is not? Because when we do, I think that changes how we see. It changes how we walk. And it changes the songs that come out of our mouths. See, last January, we're a year old. We had our one-year anniversary. And and I was kind of excited, kind of not. didn't know really what to expect. And I leave my house about 5.15, church planner life. Swing by McDonald's, grab all the volunteers' biscuits because we appreciate you with $1 treats. Um, That's how we show you we love you for your early hours, right? Isn't that what we do? Um, But honestly, McDonald's is the only one that does it right every time. So So I, I get to the church, and as I'm pulling into the church, I see something pretty disheartening, a big for lease sign. I thought we were thought we were leasing this place. I, I thought this was where we were going to grow our church, and I thought this is what God was going to do. God was going to do something here. We'd just gone through a year that was really difficult. We'd gone through a year where we had seen God's faithfulness over and over again, but it was just barely enough to survive. And, and, and I was looking for like God to do something explosive, God to do something exponential. I wanted to be the guy that everyone talked about. I wanted our church to be the church that everyone said, you do what they did because they did amazing things. Yet we were in a season where we just got by on some manna and some quail. And I I pulled up that Sunday. I saw that sign and my heart sank. And I walked in and I said, God, I I can't have a one-year celebration and be concerned about where we're going to meet next week or next month. I can't do that. So God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you because praise precedes the breakthrough. We're gonna party like this building is ours. We're gonna, lie, we're gonna throw some confetti out, we're gonna eat some food, we're gonna have a party, and I'm not gonna let this thing bother me. And it didn't, we had an incredible time. And then I got in my car and I was the last one to leave, and guess who saw the sign on the way out? This guy. And that bothered me, and I, I, I just, that whole week, I was like, man, it should have been all celebration, and I had a moment of it. But then I'm now back in this tension and I'm, I'm sending them emails like, hey, we want to lease the place. You know, like, I don't know if you know that, but we'd love to stay. And their emails back were like, well, you know, we have nothing to say to you. We'll contact you if we want to talk to you. Like, Man, God, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? Like, I felt like this was the place and I felt like this was the city. And our family, I didn't tell you this, but we're from Arkansas and we, we just dropped in. We parachuted in. We didn't know anyone except the people that were part of our church and taking a huge risk and there's so much at play it's like God what do you do in this wall it's so big I have no idea how to get through it like if I could just sit down and talk with these people maybe they would soften their hearts but they didn't even want to talk to me the wall just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and I went to God and I was wrestling with it and I felt like God gave me this illustration and maybe you're not a rocky person but I am (laughs) Adrian like I love the rocky movies But here's what Rocky happens in every Rocky movie. At the end of it, he gets beat to a pulp. They go all the rounds. He never knocks anyone out first round. There's no quick fights. And this is what Rocky does. He takes a punch over and over and over again. And at the very end, somehow there's this miracle where like he musters up enough enough strength and he has to have a TKO to win the fight. And he somehow he does it in every single movie. It's amazing. That's why there's five of them. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, that's how I feel like. That's how I feel like my faith is right now. I feel like I'm rocky. I feel like my my fists are up. I'm backed up against the wall, and I'm just taking a beating. And I don't feel like God's called me to live that way. I I don't feel like I'm supposed to just take it. 
I don't feel like I should just put myself in a position where God has to have this miraculous breakthrough. I, I feel like there might be a pattern I need to set. I feel like there may need to be some songs that I sing. I feel like there may be something in my heart, something in God's word that I need to hold on to. Because I don't wanna walk around going, I guess this is it. I guess this is how we get there. I wanted something more. And so I felt like, for whatever reason, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about Rocky. And I felt like, I don't wanna be Rocky. You know what I wanna do? I wanna come back out to the middle of the ring. I wanna put my fist up and say, let's go. I wanna have a little grit. I wanna have a little faith. I wanna believe that the wall can come down. And it's not gonna come down through some Hail Mary last minute, but it's gonna come down because I kept following Jesus. It's gonna come down because I kept fighting. It's gonna come down because I held on to his word. It's gonna come down because I lifted my songs in worship. It's gonna come down because my faith grew as I walked in patterns and I followed what he asked me to do. I believe that praise precedes the breakthrough. And when that shifted, I went and I shared that with our team. And I said, we're, we're done just kind of figuring this thing out, responding to how things go. We're going to lead. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build the church that God's called us to build. And if no one shows up, it doesn't matter. We're going down flying hard. Like we're, we're putting a pedal to the metal. We're going to get out in front. We're going to cast the vision. We're going to tell the church, this is why we're here. And we're going to start doing what God has called us to do. We're not just going to sit back and wait. We're getting out there. I'm going back to the middle of the ring. And the moment that happened, our giving doubled. The moment that happened, our church has almost doubled now since that moment. The moment that happened, our small groups have doubled. And this is what I believe. I believe the wall fell down when my praise preceded the breakthrough. Instead of me going, God, if you do this, I'll do that. I said, God, I'm going to do this anyways. Tonight, if you're in the room, you say, John, I've got some obstacles, I've got some walls, I've got some things in my life that I'm not sure, I've tried a lot of different things, but they're just still there, and I need some breakthrough. I wanna ask our, we've got some prayer partners, if you would just come up here and be ready to pray and receive people, and if that's you in the room, we say, John, that's tonight, that's me. If the prayer partners, just come on, go ahead and come on up. You say, that's me, I, I need some breakthrough, but I'm, I'm gonna step out in faith. My praise is gonna precede my breakthrough. I wanna pray with someone, I wanna lift a song with someone. If you say, John, that's you, if, if, that's, if that's you in the room, just step out. We're going to sing another song. My friend here is going to lead us in a song here. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're facing something, maybe it's small, maybe it's big. Maybe you've been holding on to it for years and no one knows about it. But you've been asking God for breakthrough, asking God for freedom. If that's you, say, John, I want to step. Maybe it's something big. Maybe it's not something bad. Maybe it's something good. Maybe you've been asking God for breakthrough in your job or breakthrough in finances and you're asking God for more. If that's you, say, John, I need a wall to fall down. I want you just to make your way up here as we sing this next song. Our prayer partners want to pray with you. And if you're in the seats, this is what I encourage you to do. Let your praise precede the breakthrough.